It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show Crystal Summers. She's the Urban Community Relations Lead on what is being held for the Federal Indian Day School Community Support Sessions in Toronto. And I just want to point out that before we get into the details of this, although we're talking about Toronto and it's taking place from September 23rd to the 25th, for a day school uh, Indian residential students, uh, they have up until July of next year, 2022, to actually submit their claims. So even though we're talking about this for Toronto specifically and, and what's going to be going on uh, for the next few days, I'm sure there will be information that people can uh, use uh, uh, to their advantage for setting up or, or perhaps submitting a claim in the future as well. So it's a pleasure to have Crystal here. Now, Crystal also happens to be Anishinaabekwe of the Ojibwe Cree Nation and the Crane Clan, and she brings extensive experience and knowledge of Indigenous community-based practice, relationships, building, and urban engagement with a formal background in social work practice. She brings a social justice and equity lens to her work, and she's experienced in teaching, training, nonprofit management, leadership, and strategic planning. So Crystal certainly sounds like someone that has uh, a great deal that she can offer to uh, people that want information and certainly that we can uh, uh, pry her for and get out of her today here on the show. So Crystal, (laughs) uh, welcome to the show, uh, Sego and and Ani, and welcome. Thank you, Miigwech, for that uh, opening and that introduction. Yeah, so um, as I said, uh, we are here to talk about uh, what's going on for Federal Indian Day School students and uh, how they can take advantage of these one-on-one sessions that are going to be happening from today, September 23rd until the 25th at uh, Toronto at the Marriott Downtown and uh, Toronto Eaton Centre, CF. Um, And uh, people can go to the IndianDaySchool.com website to find out more and, and can actually, I guess they schedule, you can see a schedule there if you scroll down the page I guess that opens up times that people can apply uh, to to see if they can get themselves into is that is that the general idea yeah yeah there's a few ways that folks can get information about the session specifically and about the settlement itself so at the Indian Day School website um, there is a lot of information there about the settlement uh, the process uh, resources there to help folks and then to register for our specific sessions, um, we have Argyle's um, Indian Day School Community Support Program up there on our website. Mm-hmm. And specifically for our Toronto session at indiandayschools.com forward slash en forward slash Toronto mm-hmm. is where folks can go online. And as you said, see what available uh, times there are. People can also give us a call on our hotline, which um, is another great way to, to get information and to register. And our number is one eight seven seven. Five one five seven five two five. And we're also, you know, we're here, um, as you said, at the Marriott downtown. That's right on Bay Street. I think mm-hmm. it's 525 Bay. And, um, you know, we can help folks right here and register them um, on their spot as well. Oh, that's great. So people can, can, they can drop in, sort of, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yes. I will just note that um, we do, you know, safety, of course, is one mm-hmm. of our primary uh, priorities yep. for, you know, communities and claimants. And we always follow the, you know, the local, provincial and, you know, um, regional guidelines for, for COVID safety. So folks who do come in um, do need to meet uh, the Ontario's provincial guidelines on um, having fully vaccination. So Mm -hmm. uh, folks do need to bring their ID and their proof of vaccination um, to come in for the in um, in person. Mm -hmm. But uh, if that's um, if that's something that folks aren't comfortable with or not able to provide, then really encourage people to give us a call um, or even register online. And we're still able to provide support to people virtually Mm -hmm. by phone, Mm -hmm. by Zoom, if that's um, possible. And we can still provide that same free claim form support um, that way as well. Okay, so just to be clear, so if someone doesn't have access to a computer or they're not able to um, to get down there to to apply, they can call you on that hotline you gave, and they can apply. Uh 
over the over the phone. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, our team of claim assistants they can help people over the phone and do work on the claim form. Uh, we can assist folks with checking on the status of um, a claim mm. if they have already submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we can do a lot of the same stuff that we would do here in person on the phone. That's great. And now it's pointed out that these are free one-on-one sessions that are available by appointment uh, to assure that they can be delivered in a safe manner. Now, what are the kind of things that someone might uh, might uh, go through in in one of these free one-on-one sessions? Yeah. So when folks come in, uh, we do, again, we have our, our own, you know, safety and COVID screening mm-hmm. protocols and, you know, a nice welcoming. Um, so once you kind of go through that COVID screening and, and greeter, we have um, our intake process and we, we sit down with folks um, and, you know, we can answer any questions about, oh, sorry about that, answer any questions about the process. Um, and then we have one-on-one claim assistance. So that is our team members who work with um, community members one-on-one on the claim form itself. And while we're here, we have uh, local cultural healing support. So mm. we have elder from the community, knowledge mm. keeper from the community, uh, Indigenous mental health professional from the community here on site. Right. And at any point in time, community members can access those um, cultural healing supports mm. um, Yeah, before, during, mm. or after their, mm. their one-on-one appointment. Oh, I'm glad what you said there, before, during, or after, because I was wondering if someone felt you know slightly uncomfortable or wanted the support of one mm-hmm. of those people you mentioned that they could bring them into their session with them. Yeah. And we encourage people to, you know, um, to bring a support person as well. And Mm. that's totally, um, you know, that's a great, if you have someone to bring, right, to be your support, that's totally okay and can sit in with you. Um, And again, aside also from those cultural healing supports, we also connect uh, claimants and community members with legal counsel as well. Now, of course, uh, we're talking, as, as mentioned, uh, this is available for people in the Toronto area and people can come and, and register for the Toronto sessions between today, September 23rd and the 25th, uh, right up till Saturday. And uh, it's at the Marriott Downtown uh, Toronto Eaton Centre. And also, uh, you know, we also have listeners in, uh, in Ottawa. And I'm just wondering if there's anything uh, you can tell us that would be uh, equivalent to this that might be available for people in in the Ottawa area. We are um, planning and having conversations with communities um, across Canada for additional supports. Mm-hmm. But, you know, knowing that we're in Toronto right now, just again, encouraging people that they can still access, you know, those alternative mm-hmm. supports by telephone um, and by um, by Zoom again, and can look on that website for additional resources as well and ways that you can get support. Great. And having said that, uh, you know, even though we specifically air in the Toronto and Ottawa areas, um, this does go out uh, via the Internet uh, and over to our SoundCloud. So uh, other people will be listening to this in other areas. And I noticed that if you go to the uh, to the Indian uh, date ghouls dot com, there are other community lists that people can. uh, I guess they're open. What does that mean by open? Yeah. So we are kind of actively working with communities um, to, you know, for those sessions. And so uh, encouraging people to look at that website, as you say, so IndianDaySchools.com, mm-hmm. our community support. Yep. And so when we do have sessions that are confirmed, they will be updated on that website there. And then folks um, are able to register for those sessions. Great. Now, how long has this been going on? How long have you been uh, holding these sessions and how long has this application uh, claimant process been open? Um, the claims process itself has opened in January of um, 2020, and uh, we have been working with communities um, since January of this year, 2021. Mm-hmm. Okay. What have you found so far in terms of trust is, of course, one of those things that is always a big issue uh, mm-hmm. with Indigenous people. And I'm yes. just wondering how you found that so far. Yeah, so, um, you know, part of our mandate is is providing this free claim form support and doing so, you know, um, from a trauma informed Mm -hmm. lens and from a culturally, you know, safe striving appropriate uh, way. So again, having those healing supports here um, are really important for us, you know, and I think that really helps knowing that uh, for folks to see that, you know, we do have elders here and we do have those um, local healing supports available. And, And another way is just, you know, bringing that trauma informed lens in and how we do our work. Right, and how we um, have relationships and how we engage with people and just um, having that knowledge and understanding of the, the trauma history and just like the trauma context that this um, work can carry and not just the work that the 
people's experiences, mm. right, have been and um, how difficult it can be for mm. folks to talk about that. And and we've heard, you know, um, on many times that it, it can be really difficult. And sometimes people have been holding on to their stories um, or their experiences for a long time and mm. maybe just haven't, you know, even thought about them or talked or shared them with anyone right. before. Yeah. And so, you know, we really honor and respect um, that, you know, people who come and are, are trusting us to share their stories so that mm-hmm. we can support them um, in applying for compensation. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that, I, I could imagine, and I'm, I'm guessing, and, and so maybe you can help me out with this, that if, a, if, if someone is wants to, you know, uh, apply, get their claimant uh, going forward, if they're having difficulty with, you know, sharing the information or getting that out, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that they can put that on hold until they can come back in and talk to someone or, or continue the process so that they can get that all out because maybe they're not comfortable with doing it all at once. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that that can happen definitely, and and as you said, you know that claims process is um, is open until July of 2022, and uh, we're able to support people. You know, we go at the pace of um, of community members of claimants, mm-hmm. and we can book appointments with people. If not, you know, you know, another day like tomorrow, if it's not um, in person during this session, we can still book those follow up appointments um, with community members at a later date for whenever they feel ready to. Um, to kind of engage in the process again. But but it's not necessary for uh, someone to have a, uh, a, a, a physical one-on-one session in person to, to go through this claimant process. Oh, no, no, no. Right. Yep, yep. You can do it. Um, you know, people have been submitting them for quite some time yep. and um, with help of family and friends, other local organizations, there's a lot of great um, work that's being done in communities by communities for their communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're that additional support um, as well, just wanting to offer to help communities. Hmm. I'm wondering about the different ways people might be able to submit. And what I mean by that is uh, perhaps someone isn't really good at, at writing their thoughts down. Um, are they able to videotape something? Are they able to re- just record something in, in, on their phone? Or, or uh, what are the ways that people might be able to uh, you know, approach this? Yeah, I can tell you the way that uh, that we generally support people with it. Um, so we do help do the uh, the work on the claim form itself, where we can help you know type into the claim form itself. So again, take some of that onus off of community members to you know be writing in the form. Um, and the same with that narrative piece. So the narrative is a really important part of the claim form. Um, it does document the the experiences and the harms that folks experience while attending um, a federally run Indian day school and so our team of claim assistants uh, we work with people and can write that that for or sorry that um, narrative out for them as part of that so just trying to take again off um, yeah and that kind of onus of needing for them to write it and just try to make it you know as simple as possible for them right and and, and thank you for for sharing that now the other th- question I have is how long might the process take if someone wanted to to do this start to finish and they walked in yeah um, it really varies, of course, right? Because everyone has, it depends on where everyone is kind of in their, in their journey and, yep. and uh, how comfortable they're feeling and everyone, um, everyone's experience and claim form, you know, is, mm-hmm. is different. Um, so I would say kind of a good average though to go on would be um, maybe two hours. Okay. But again, it kind of will work with people with where they're at, um, really trying to, again, come from that trauma-informed, culture-appropriate lens to give people the space and time that they need. Okay. Now, again, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And uh, we are speaking with Crystal Summers, the Urban Community Relations Lead for the Federal Indian Day School Community Support Sessions that are taking place in Toronto at the Marriott Downtown at the CF Toronto Eaton Centre from September 23rd to the 25th. So that's today, Thursday until Saturday. And it's to help claimants navigate their claim process and provide an opportunity for healing as well as these they have these free one-on-one sessions that people can are, are available to uh, to book online, um, or you can also call. And uh, I'm going to get Crystal to give out that one eight hundred or mm-hmm. number again in in a second. Um, but uh, but this is so they can be delivered in a in a, a safe manner. Now remember, of course, if you're going to be going down there, that uh, the protocol COVID protocol is still applicable. I should say at this time. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, if you want to find out more 
though, you can go to the online uh, website, and that is uh, IndianDaySchools.com, and uh, Crystal can give us a little more details about that as well. But you can see online there, if you scroll down the page, uh, that you can actually uh, uh, book an appointment. And and there's also, you know, different places you can, if you're, clo- if you're hearing this and you're not in the Toronto area, don't worry, because there's other areas that you can uh, book an appointment uh, and, and uh, get online to apply for this. You have up until July of next year, and we believe the date is July 13th, that you have until uh, you can submit a claimant uh, for uh, for this. So, uh, Crystal, the other information I, I just want to share with everybody is that about almost 700 Indian Day schools operated across Canada in every province and territory, excluding Newfoundland. First Nations, mm-hmm. Métis, and Inuit children, of course, were sent to Indian Day schools during the day. And on March 12, 2019, a nationwide class action lawsuit against Canada announced a settlement agreement to provide compensation for people who endured harm while attending federally run Indian Day schools across the country. So, as I say, you have, uh, for former Indian Day School students, you have between now and July of 2022 to submit your claim. So, it's a pleasure to have Crystal on here talking about this. Uh, Crystal, I was going to get you to just uh, say that 1-800 number again for people. Our um, toll-free number is one 877 Five one five seven five two five. Great. So we can uh, we'll give that out at the, at the end of this as well. What are the kind of things that people are going to be asked during a session and and a claimant process? Yeah. So um, when folks come in. You know, we go um, through that claim process and we can explain, you know, what that the claim form looks like, what's involved with that. Um, and uh, we look at uh, the the school that people went to, look at the dates that they went to. Um, and after, you know, kind of c- collecting some of that basic information, you know, name, kind of demographics, the school, the years that they went, um, a big part of that piece um, is the, the narrative. Mm. Um and for you know recording or um, yeah people's mm-hmm. experiences and the harms that they sure. went to, um, and then you know a big part is explaining that process uh, with the harms grid and with uh, legal counsel. So we connect people with legal counsel to get support um, from them. Um, yeah, and we're, we're again we have uh, t- our team here is able to support with every step of that process. Mm. Uh, you know you mentioned uh, legal counsel, and I'm just wondering if people again. You know, going back to that trust issue, is there? Uh, do people question uh, the the um, you know where the, where the legal counsel is coming from? Who are they? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're independent, but there may be a you know a, a, a concern that they're more representative of the government side of things, perhaps. Yeah, I can't really speak to to claimants' um, okay. thoughts about that, yeah. but um, but Galling is the the class counsel um, to um, for all el- eligible class members that uh, we work closely with um, for our sessions. And again, like you know, we just support people and just be really clear on our processes and who we have available to support them and take their lead on you know what they're comfortable in accessing. Mm. Now I see, you know, a, a part of the process is this estate claim form. Now, people might get confused on that. What, what do you mean by, by you know, what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, an estate claim is a claim for um, a person who has um, now deceased after mm. 2007 who also um, attended one of the um, eligible Indian day schools um, that people can apply for. There are some requirements Um to be able to apply uh, as an estate claim. And so again, those infer or that information is available on the website. It's the indiandayschools.com forward slash EN um, resources. And so there's a lot of information there about that estate process. And um, yeah, there's a lot of information there, but our team is able to help people with that. If people have questions, you know, they can give us a call um, or we can, you know, explain kind of that process when folks are here on site. Okay, so what you're saying is that if a person has passed, uh, that their family can then apply on their behalf f- for this. Is that what you're saying? Um, yes, yeah. And there's like some, you know, it, 
there is like an executor. So yep. it, it depends, you know, kind of on that part. But again, those resources kind of explain um, what is needed mm-hmm. to be able to apply for an estate um, on behalf of a loved one. Right. Now, what about, um, you know, going back to the legal counsel, if, if someone has their own legal counsel? Um if, if folks opted out, um, then yeah, they can potentially have that. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying though is that if they if they you have a legal counsel there as as advice and to give answers, uh, what if they just had their own legal counsel for their own you know purposes for advice on on their end? Is that something that? you've had come forward as well or not? Um, it's it's kind of not necessarily out of the, the scope that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just kind of more working with folks, you know, with our process here and connecting people with um, the Gallon Class Council that we work with. Okay. And, and you know, as, as things move forward, do you have an idea at this point in time of uh, how many people might have um, submitted a, a claim at this point? Um, I think Deloitte would probably be in a better um, position to answer that as the claims administrator. And that's where folks do send their claim forms. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, the other side of this, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, you, you mentioned and we've talked about the the claimants and the duress and also uh, the process by which this may be uh, difficult for them. I'm sure that uh, for people um, on the other side, the people that are, are receiving the information and uh, people that, are, um, that are, are taking down the notation, perhaps helping people with this process, um, that, that over time... Uh, can mm-hmm. be very taxing on someone because they're hearing, uh, you know, stories that are heavy. They're hard to hear, um, mm-hmm. I, you know. So I'm just wondering, you know, everybody's in this together, and and we we all have to, we all want everyone to come out of this well. Um, are, are you are you finding that that staff uh, sometimes are having difficulties, and is there support for staff to to get uh, the same kind of of support that 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 you're offering to the claimants because they too may be suffering. For sure, like the having that support is so important for us in um, supporting our team, just as the same as community members, as you said, um, kind of going back to one of our, you know, primary program principles of that safety, right? Safety for community members and claimants, but of course for our team too and their well-being. So, you know, um, talking about our wellness and supporting teams' wellness is is always, you know, top of mind mm-hmm. and uh, ensuring that they have access to um, those wellness supports as well is something that we're working to our sessions and, and at all times really, um, you know, and we had a beautiful opening today by, you know, our um, elder present here that we all kind of take part in as a team to kind of, you know, set that tone for the session and mm-hmm. start things off in a good way um, and just that really spiritually grounded way. Mm. Great. It's good to hear. Uh, the other question that people might have around a, a claimant process is the length of time something might take. Do you have any idea on that? Um, again, the claims administrator would be the best one on on those timeframes. And that is something that we do help with on a regular basis in connecting with um, with Deloitte and kind of, again, a lot of times it might be checking on that status of a claim form. Um, so that's a key part of our program that we assist with. Um, yeah, and that we, we do often and can help with. Uh, I'm wondering if claimants are at all um, uh, leery of the process, thinking that once they start this, they may have to go to court. Is that, is that, have you ever had people question that idea? Um, I think, I think in general, there can be sometimes, yeah, just not understanding what, what that process is. Mm. So again, um, that is another key part of our program, right? It's just helping people understand the process, um, which doesn't include that, you know, the claim form is the primary, um, way that folks apply for their compensation. Um, and so, yeah, we can, we can explain that and just try to help, um, you know, provide that understanding that may lessen hopefully some mm-hmm. of that, you know, anxiety that may exist about being unsure, right, of how yeah. that process is. Yeah. And I guess the other question I'm sure people may have is, is, um, is the amount of money someone might receive. And I'm sure I know that that, again, goes back to the narrative, as you said, and and, and uh, the harm and, and how long they were there and a number of other things that probably go into that whole process of trying to determine uh, what a claimant might receive at the end of this process. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, yes. So there is in the the claim form a an a harms grid, and um, and again that narrative is a really important piece to that. Um, our team, again, we are not uh, we are not lawyers ourselves, so mm-hmm. we do not provide any legal advice right. on you know level of harm that folks should um, you know check off as part of the claim form. Mm-hmm. Um, but we support with every other part of that process, and that is why we do work closely with class counsel so they can you know step in to provide that as that is their you know mandate and scope. Right. Uh, Crystal, is there anything else you can think of that we haven't spoken about that you feel is important for people that might want to hear or know uh, as they're uh, uh, either coming in to book an appointment to get ready to be prepared or, uh, you know, just that in general that, that, yeah, we haven't mentioned um, yeah, I think we've covered all the basis. I just, yeah, I want to share again that, you know, this support is completely free for community members. Mm-hmm. You know, we have um, our team here ready to help. We have uh, those local healing supports here to provide that cultural, um, spiritual support and grounding. Um, and we are, yeah, at the Marriott downtown. It's on Bay Street by the Eaton Center. Folks can come in. They can call our hotline if they're unsure um, or maybe not comfortable coming in person mm-hmm. um, or register online as well. Great. And I just want to reiterate that uh, if, although we're talking about specifically right now Toronto, uh, between now, September 23rd to the 25th, that there you can people can apply online and uh, that's going to be open until July of next year, July 13th, we believe the date is. And also that you're, you're going to be holding these sessions in other areas like Ottawa. Uh, you mentioned that there may be a future date where there may be a similar thing that takes place. So people should be looking, I guess, at the website. And if you want to let us know about that, uh, we'll be happy to uh, you know re-air this at, at a later date so people have that information as well yeah for sure David we will let you know yeah as um, things you know get confirmed and just as you said encourage people to check out that website there's a lot on that indiandayschools.com website mm-hmm. like the resources like um, our community support program that does have um, upcoming sessions as they're confirmed Great. You know, some people just might want to go to the phone right away because mm-hmm. they might have some, they want to get some immediate questions answered right away. And if I have written this down correctly, the number they can call for 1-800-HELP is 1-877-515-7528. 7525. Oh, 7525. I can't even yes. read my own writing. There you go. <laughs> That's okay. So, yes. And our hotline is open from... 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. So we have our team, you know, ready and wedding, ready and willing to help there. Great, and, and and thank you for mentioning that. What are the hours of the office that you're uh, that you have for Toronto? What are the hours of operation for that? Yeah, we are here and taking appointments between like about 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. from now until Saturday. Excellent, Crystal. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show and share this uh, for people that might be uh, interested in applying for the Federal Indian Day School. Uh, uh, compensation process. No worries, Miigwech. Thank you so much for having me here to share this information. That is Crystal Summers. She's the Urban Community Relations Lead for the Toronto Downtown CF Toronto Eden Centre Federal Indian Day School Community Support Sessions that are taking place at Toronto Eaton Centre from September 23rd to the 25th. You can find out more by going to the IndianDaySchools.com site and you can also call the 1-800 number at 1-877-515-7525. That is this portion of the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show the publisher and editor-in-chief of Canada Land, Jesse Jess Brown. And he's here to talk about The White Saviors. It is a five-episode series, and it drops weekly Mondays until September 20th, which you can get to hear on the White Saviors website. Um, you can also go to Canada Land to find it there as well. Uh, Jesse, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Good to be here. It's, uh, sorry for the car alarm I can hear going off in the background on my end. Yeah, no worries. I guess that's uh, it's part and parcel of our, our new way of life of doing things uh, in, in the Zoom world, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like there's just uh, 
all kinds of technical Zoom trouble all the time, but good to be good to be talking with you nonetheless. Well, you know, just to, just on an aside there, um, maybe we got a little too comfortable with with uh, having pristine audio and doing things that were absolutely perfect. You know, the, we're, we're we're you know, this is this is still great audio, still being able to communicate uh, in different parts of the country or around the world via Zoom and and do these wonderful things that uh, we never took advantage of prior to COVID nineteen and. And uh, it certainly has become a way of, of doing things now. Yeah, I don't mind a little a little hair in the lens, a little bit of reality or somebody's <laughs> kid busting in, in the back of the frame, you know, it yeah. keeps things real. That's right. That's right. Anyway, uh, keeping... I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the show to talk about uh, the White Saviors, this uh, this series that uh, is part of Canada Land that you guys have uh, going on, as I say, uh, up until September 20th. And I guess so once it's once they finish the new series airing, uh, they're going to be uh, up on the website or uh, on the site that people can go and listen to on the podcast uh, at their leisure. Yeah, I mean, the way it goes with these limited series podcasts, people uh, seem to find them and discover them. And sometimes you get, you know, the, the traffic just continues for months and right. months and years. And uh, so it, it will live forever. Uh, you know, if you just search for White Saviors, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find it. Yeah. Now, this White Saviors uh, podcast that we're talking about, it's an original series based on five years of investigation. Uh, on the WE organization. And of course, the WE organization, as we know, Craig uh, and uh, and his brother, Mark uh, Kielberger, who, who started this in Canada, and it be- became this worldwide uh, sensation. And of course, it fell under the uh, critical light. And uh, you guys have done this really amazing uh, job of looking at its life, how it grew out of the two brothers and the original idea behind it, uh, starting when they were very young and you know i went i listened to the first series uh, the first episode and i have to tell you that i forgot really about how wonderful it, it was of an idea and and the idea of 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 the presentation of this young 13-year-old, reminding me very much uh, uh, of Greta Thunberg in some ways, you know, and what she has brought forward about the climate change. So um, it, it was really interesting to hear all of that. But, you know, you guys set up this really fascinating story that uh, takes us into the life of this organization. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say it. I mean, I think the Canadians, you know, sort of overdosed on we coverage last summer when it just sort of became this uh, procedural political story. What what we saw and the reason why we wanted to come back to it and really just tell the whole thing from the beginning is that we see an astonishing story of grand epic themes. Uh, You know, I think that Greta Thunberg is a good example. You know, imagine if Greta Thunberg, this child who who rose to international fame and prominence on a cause that is so urgent and so just. Mm -hmm. Imagine if 10, 20 years from now she was working with Shell Oil. You know, uh, what what happened along the way uh, to cause that um, that arc in her story? That's pretty much the story of Craig Kilberger. You know, when he was 12 and um, burst onto the scene and was was celebrated by Oprah and 60 Minutes and met with the Pope and the Queen. It was uh, based on this amazing cause to, to rid the world of child slavery which, you know, who could argue with that? Yep. And then you look forward 20 years later and he's working with Hershey and Unilever. He's working with companies. He's partnered with companies that use child labor mm-hmm. on an industrial scale. So what happened over those 20 years? And and that that's the story of the White Saviors. And the celebrity side of things, that whole idea of how it captured so many uh, of the youth uh, across the country and around the world, uh, in, you know, North America, at least anyway, to try and get kids on this, uh, this wonderful idea to help others and and. And, and you know, Craig was such a great front person. Even at a young age, he spoke so well. He did. And, and one thing, you know, we just spent so much time uh, going through the footage over the years. Mm. It was really interesting to watch how he adapted and massaged uh, his message mm. and how the rough corners and, you know, to, 12-year-old Craig was an incredibly gifted orator. Mm-hmm. But like any activist, he was angry. He was angry about the injustices in the world. He was calling out companies that exploit child labor. Mm. Anger doesn't sell that well. You know, there's a certain percentage Mm -hmm. of young people who are willing to get angry about a cause. But there are far more young people 
who want to be inspired or want to be uh, flattered, told mm. that they are the change makers. They are the best people in the world doing the best work of the world. And over the years, the we message, you know, it broadened. It was not about child labor exclusively. It just, you know, until you get to a point where a few years ago, the we message, it's hard to even tell what it was about. It was, you know, you can change the world, believe in yourself, mm-hmm. stand up for what you believe in. And it all sounded really inspirational, especially if you're, you know, vulnerable, you're 10 years old and you're in a stadium and celebrities yeah. are singing and shouting these things towards you and, and telling you these amazing things. But what did it actually mean? You know, uh, what were you trying to change? Right. And certainly there was no expectation that anyone should get angry or show up at a protest or boycott a product. You know, it became about download our app mm. or like us on Facebook. Right. Um, you know, their, their, their slogan became, we make doing good doable. So the right. ease of activism became, they don't even like the word activism in recent years. You know, it became, uh, you know, change making, mm. uh, you know, so, so you see this kind of like broad commercialization of activism and philanthropy and virtue. Yeah. I remember actually my own son went to one of those events in uh, Toronto and uh, talking about it. And that's when I first became aware of it uh, because of of his involvement. And I believe he got involved with their organization at his school when he, uh, he was younger as well. There was something else, though, through that first episode. It was talking about one of the young people that did get involved in their school. Uh, because they were wanting to do something, and 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 this was very uh, a very prominent organization at their school, and wanting to sell some of the products, but the organization was asking them to purchase the items first, and then uh, sell them back or something. It was co- it was complicated, and it triggered something because I, I can't remember if my son got involved with that, and 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 it kind of made me think: Do I remember something like that as well? And asking questions, this seems kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pippa Biddle is the um, is the person you're referring to. She's mm. very courageous, I think. Um, you know, a hard thing to talk about is when people, uh, you know, try to be honest yeah. about their own. You know, she's honest about like what was attracting her to this. Yep. And you know, she was celebrated as a young person, like, oh, you're such a great young person. You're dedicating so much time to philanthropy. Mm. And she looks back on it. And she says, I became really addicted to the kind of validation I got of grownups telling me that I was this wonderful person. And she went on a number of volunteerism trips with a different organization. And she says, you know, everybody from her private school wanted a picture with a a poor black orphan to put on their social media accounts. Mm. You know, they, they became, she, as she describes it, addicted to the, uh, the advertisement of their own virtue. Mm. Um, That's a very Mm. complicated uh, idea. And it's, it's very, I think, courageous of her to explore that and share that. But it's certainly not something that you can expect 12-year-olds and 11-year-olds to really understand. And she talks about how when she was young, yes, uh, the scheme through which she was doing, you know, philanthropy Mm. in this extracurricular club in her private school was asked to buy bracelets from a private company owned by the Kilbergers called called Me To We and then sell them to her classmates and, and teachers and parents and then send the proceeds to a charity. Yes. Um, and, you know, what exactly was happening in, in these exchanges, the movement of money from yeah. private to public yeah. organization, uh, you're dealing with vulnerable people who, you know, she, she, she says that, you know, uh, looking back on the trips that people went on, these, these, mm. these volunteerism trips, she did she no comprehension at that age that this was a travel agency privately owned by the Kilbergers. So, you know, the, the idea that it could be a private company, a for-profit company selling these charity trips um, was not something she understood as mm. a kid. And, and that's something that we found with, we, you know, we interviewed dozens of people yeah. in our investigation of this organization. And, and, you know, the kids just felt like this is charity work. It's yeah. all charity work. And they're, they're kind of told that because they're told that even when it's a for-profit company, yeah. it's pretty much charity anyhow, because the money ends up back in the charity. And it, 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 there's a great deal of, of, of confusion and misunderstanding about what was actually going on. How, how soon into the research that you were doing were flags going off for you? Well, the story of our involvement in this is we kind of came into it uh, backwards, sort of by accident. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was covering the media and I was covering the CBC mm-hmm. and um, 
it came to my attention that the CBC had been promoting a documentary about volunteerism, you know, these, these okay. trips that young people yep. take that are like half vacation and half helping uh, right. people in, in developing countries. And um, CBC had been promoting a documentary called Volun- Volunteers uh, Unleashed. Okay. And, and then at the last minute, it got pulled from broadcast. And I investigated and I found out that what happened was the WE organization learned that they were criticized in this documentary. And so they complained to the CBC and I think they made legal threats and the, the, the CBC capitulated and not only removed the, the, the documentary that night from their schedule, but actually censored and edited this documentary and rebroadcast it with all criticism removed and explicitly stating that there was nothing negative to say about me to we. Um, when we reported that story, we started getting tips. Um, people who had worked for the WE organization were not used to reading anything critical about WE. I mean, right. WE was partnered up with the Globe and Mail. They were partnered up with Post Media. They had media partners protecting them. And so once these former WE employees saw that Canada Land was willing to uh, turn a critical lens uh, and, and scrutinize this organization, they started to tell us, you don't know, you don't know the half of what's going on mm. within this organization. And they started to tell us more and more. Mm. And that's when I said, okay, we're on to something here. And I assigned a reporter named Jaron, Jaron Kerr um, to just really dig into this. And he spent a long time uh, investigating and publishing these incredible um, revelations, these exposés. And, and, you know, that's sort of how we came to, uh, I think, lead. You know, we were the only voices on this for, for years. Right. And then all of a sudden it was this national scandal. Right. Okay. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest on the show is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Canada Land, Jesse Brown. And it's a pleasure to have him on talking about the White Saviors. It's a, a five-episode series podcast that uh, drops weekly. And it is uh, up until September 20th when the new episodes will be airing. Uh, if you can find that on a Canada Land uh, podcast as well as on the White Saviors uh, w- website as well. Now, uh, Jesse, you just mentioned there a moment ago about um, the CBC and the MeToo and how uh, they uh, brought charges against uh, the CBC. And that is something that comes up in the first episode. And, and I think, uh, as it points out in that episode, this is something that really shaped how the media approached the WE organization for years. Basically what happened was uh, over 20 years ago, the first magazine to ever take a critical, you know, really like dig into um, this phenomenon was a magazine called Saturday Night. It doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Um, But, you know, there was a feature written um, in Saturday Night magazine. It wasn't even that critical, but it was, it was definitely asking some tough questions Mm -hmm. about this, uh, this phenomenon. And they sued. That's when the WE organization sued. Uh, at the time it was called for yes. the children. Thank you. Yes. And they, they sued Saturday Night Magazine. They did not win. Like a, what usually happens with defamation uh, suits is that there was a settlement. Yes. Um, but they, they declared victory and they yes. said, you know, this magazine was out to get us and uh, we have triumphed and we are vindicated and this proves that they were lying. Yes. And what happened after that is that um, the media kind of just reported that story uncritically that, you know, they had won, Mm. they declared victory. And after that, there's kind of like a a 20 year silence on anyone saying anything critical about them. And in fact, as I mentioned, media organization after media organization joins forces with we to the extent where you actually have like a section of the newspaper. The Globe and Mail was running a we day section post media. The biggest newspaper chain in Canada had a a regular column for years written by the Kilburn. So they were embraced by the Canadian establishment, including the media. Uh, the CBC never faced charges, but the CBC was threatened yeah. um, with this volunteers um, unleashed documentary. And that's what sort of led to our reporting. So how, how has that been for you guys then uh, working through this series with uh, on me to we? Well, it's, it, it, you know, we faced, uh, you know, a constant battle mm. in our original reporting where they, they came at us with, with uh, libel notices and threats from five different lawyers from different law firms. Um, also covert tactics. They hired private investigators to spy on me and my family and my reporter, all kinds of stuff. They, they, they hired a, a Republican strategy firm to plant negative stories about Canada. And there's a whole other podcast we could do <laughs> about everything they did to try to block us right. in this most recent chapter. 
after when our trailer, only the trailer had come out for the white saviors. They sent us a libel notice saying, we suspect that you're about to libel us and we demand that you suspend publication. Mm. Well, we went ahead with publication. Mm. Um, A lot of people say, how's the lawsuit going? (laughs) Just to clarify that, a libel notice is not a lawsuit. It is the precursor to a lawsuit. Mm. Often it's followed by a lawsuit, and maybe we will be sued by the way organization, but that would mean disclosing in public courts a lot of internal documents on their part. Mm. What I can tell you right now is we have not been sued Mm. uh, at this point by the way organization. Right. Um, now, the other thing uh, that we learn through that first episode is we get this set up and we do go back and, and it is fascinating, as I said, to go back and, and have that refreshed in our mind about uh, Craig and and what he was hoping to do as he started out and why and, and that whole story around the young boy that is around the same age that is assassinated. But as we get into it, we find out more about his brother's involvement and and Mark and his his uh, going to school. I believe he comes back from Harvard as a lawyer uh, and then things uh, start to change and, and it really does shape and, and create a fascinating look at their lives and, and how that um, forged uh, the forward movement and, and how this would then shape and, and what they did with uh, breaking things out from the nonprofit to the profit. And Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's like a very specific story about individuals here, brothers, about yeah. a family and yeah. how what they set out to do is so different than what they ended up doing. And, you know, uh, they, they became wildly wealthy through yes. uh, the years that this family was running this organization. There's also a broader story about, uh, I think, you know, in recent years, corporations have gotten involved in philanthropy in a whole new way that has a lot more to do with uh, what's called corporate social responsibility, Mm. where, you know, companies are tired of looking like the bad guy and companies, you know, they take on causes and that creates a market for, you know, charities that are really providing reputational services for large corporations. And some of these corporations are involved in really extractive negative behavior around the world. But uh, the, the, the amount of money that's at play here um, has kind of made charities serve corporations. And when, when you, you know, the, the Kilbergers very uh, brazenly and openly blurred the profit motive, um, mm. you know, commercialization and, and corporatization with charity. Mm. And when you put those things together, you know, capitalism wins. It's not like the, the companies become charities, but right. it does seem like the charities can become companies. Yeah. And of course, that's just one of the things you talk about. It makes me think about how this has perhaps damaged the the, the minds of young people or the people that were involved with uh, the the Me to We and uh, Free the Children uh, that that then say, what did we really? What were we really a part of? Uh, you know, is it worth looking at non uh, not for profits and is it worth getting involved to to be philanthropic for these kind of efforts? Yeah, you know, David, some people came at us and said, you know, oh, well, what you're doing is so negative because now no one's going to give money to charity. Mm. And um, other people came to us and said, you know what, the problems that you're describing, there are very similar problems at other charities you need to keep investigating. And, you know, I I take a nuanced view, I think, of these things. You know, I think the charity can be wonderful and I think there are charities that do great work. Mm -hmm. I also think we need to look in the mirror when it comes to um, fashionable causes and, you know, we're just starting to come to terms with some of the some of the mentality around this where Canadians like to be seen as, as, as saviors and heroes for people around the world. Meanwhile, here in our own country, there are people who don't have drinkable water yep. and there's and there's a systemic injustice in our own country. Yep. There are wonderful organizations that are worth people's donations and volunteer work. Um, But there is, I think, a responsibility to do our diligence and to really look closely at who we're involving ourselves with. Um, Because that, that good impulse people have to make a positive contribution, it can be manipulated. Right. Of course. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, you you found a wonderful narrator and uh, he sets up the story about his own life and where he is from and also about uh, the charities that come into his country. And uh, and he does describe about the fact that there are some charities that are there and they do great work and they are helping. And then there are other organizations that are there for adventure and some that are there for profit. Uh, and so the, the monies that are donated 
donated don't get to the country and don't get to the people that that are there to benefit. Olushola Ariogan is the narrator of the yes. White Saviors, and yes. first of all, he's just a delight to listen to. His mm-hmm. voice is is. Um, is gorgeous and he's uh you know just somebody who works in in audio i'm lucky to work with him Mm -hmm. um as somebody who i think you know and i I hope we'll be hearing a lot more from him on other podcasts and you know all other kinds of voice work because Mm -hmm. he really just lifts the words from the page and he also is somebody who as a nigerian has a personal connection to the material he has worked at an NGO in the past. He he has a nuanced view of this. He sees that, that this can be uh, beneficial, but he has a broader social understanding of the dynamics um, throughout Africa um, as to how, uh, you know, there are corrupt governments, yeah. there are um, NGOs that are not there with the best wishes, and there's a widespread misconception that Africa is poor. Africa is incredibly rich. It has rich resources. Mm. It has, all, all, you know, uh, cultural and human resources, and it has... Uh, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be attracting all this attention in the interests of China. Uh, you know, it, 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 what he sees happening is um, what we describe in the show, which is that, um, you know, services like education and health that in many cases, you know, Kenyans are very capable of providing for themselves or mm-hmm. services like manual labor. The idea that what Kenya needs is for high school students from North American private schools to come and dig ditches. That's not what Kenya needs. And when you have a situation where there are literally thousands of these NGOs operating you know, yeah. out of Nairobi or, sure. or in Nigeria and Lagos. Yeah. Um, and, and the expectation is that they they and not the Kenyan government, you know, that, that the Kenyans and Nigerians can't do these things for themselves. They need these Western saviors mm. um, is incredibly pandering and, and disempowering and incorrect. Um, we witnessed this with with We Charity in a very literal way. You know, they they, um, they do good work uh, as well as everything that we're critical about. They they uh, have a hospital um, in Kenya, but that hospital is funded by uh, by the Kenyan government. And there's a sign outside of that hospital that says this hospital receives Kenyan government funding. Well, in We's promotional marketing materials, they erase that message attributing that funding to the Kenyan government and replaced it with We brand. So what does that tell you? You know, it, it seems to be necessary for organizations like we to literally erase the things that Kenyans do for themselves right, right. and instead replace that with signage that says we're the ones who are saving these people. Right. That's really troubling. That's yeah. really troubling and people yeah. need to know about that. Right. There's so many things in this a series that people can uh, certainly learn about. You, you mentioned, uh, I think there a little bit earlier about uh, getting getting comments from uh, former workers from the organization. Uh, there's uh, some comments from the former board of director and and what happened when he started raising questions about some of the the questionable way that funds were being uh, used and he wanted to uh, to help straighten some of that stuff out and so yeah it really is a fascinating look at this whole situation what what would you say uh, just finishing up uh, Jesse about the the ultimate uh, goal that you hope that that this series does that people can uh, take away from this uh, and and get out of it you know, uh, all of these ideas are really interesting and important to me, but I'm, I'm a journalist and, I, and, and I'm driven by curiosity. You know, I, I, I got involved in the story, not because I wanted to preach to the world, but because right. I just wanted to know the truth. Sure. And uh, this family and this organization is fascinating to me. Mm. And we have uncovered things that nobody knew about beforehand, but there's still things that are going on that, that we're still digging into. So for me, I just I just want to tell a, a, a gripping story that I think speaks to the, the age that we live in and, and raises some serious issues and i just i i think that if people start listening to this you know their jaws are going to drop it's an astonishing story and um you know i i just want i just want people to hear it right well thank you and you know just before we go uh mentioning uh yourself as publisher and editor-in-chief of uh, canada land tell us something about canada land itself we are uh, an independent news organization that is funded by the people who listen to us. And, you know, we've broken major national news stories again and again. Mm-hmm. And we, we put out, uh, you know, podcasts that talk about Canadian media and politics. And uh, you know, I, I think people should check out CanadaLand.com because we don't have enough independent media in Canada. Yep. We're one of the very few organizations that is doing so in a sustainable, profitable way, paying reporters to actually dig into things that nobody else is looking at. And, uh, you know, we, we work for our audience. 
Jesse, thank you so much. It's been fascinating speaking with you. Uh, congratulations on this uh, series. Congratulations on all the great work you guys are doing over there at Canada Land as well. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. Thanks for this conversation, David. It was lots of fun talking to you. All right. You take care, and I look forward to speaking with you again, perhaps on other topics. Me too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the publisher and editor-in-chief of Canada Land, Jesse Brown. We've been speaking to him about The White Saviors. It's a uh, five-episode series that you can catch on at the White Saviors website and or going to canadaland.com, as he mentioned, and uh, scroll down the page and you'll see that and all of the other great work that they're doing over there. I'm David Moses, your host here on Moment of Truth and Element FM, and we will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.